Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Hij deed me veel verdriet dat blijkbaar niemand het verdiende om de boekrol te openen en hem in te zien. At nang makuha niya ang balungbon, nagpatira pa sa harap ng kordero ang apat na buhay na nilalang at ang dalawamput-apat na matatanda. Amen kanal kanarner unayin u voski hanggamarner hunggob latsun por surperun agokner nenein. And they sang a new song saying, de toute tribu, And language From every tribe and language and people and nation. A viděl jsem a slyšel vás mnoha andělů okolo toho trůnu, těch bytostí a těch starců. Byli jich miliony a miliardy a volali mocným hlasem. Vredníky jste měli, která fosta žungia, zapříměstka putera, bogacia, zelepčůňa, tady a čínstě slava ši lauda. I svaka svorňa, što je na nebu, i na zemi, i pod zemňom, i što je na moru, i što je u ním, sve čuj de govore. I ola ugo ati agbarani tieni tio djokolorite ati odo agoto, lai ati lai lai. And the four living creatures said, Amin. Amin. Amen. 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 And the elders fell down and worshipped. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You take your seats. Hey, Taproot. I don't want to spill the communion juice here. It might happen. Man, it's good to see you. What a cool video, huh? What a great way to do our um, scripture reading this morning. Man, it's good to see you. If uh, you are new to our church, my name is Luis, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we just want to welcome you to our church this morning. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, on the back of every chair, you will find a little connect card, and uh, if you're new to our church, we just ask you to please fill one of those out for us. 
Uh, and then as you leave, uh, you can drop those into the giving boxes along the back wall or at the Connect desk in the foyer. Uh, this card will help us to know that you were here. It'll help us to know how we can serve you, how we can get you connected, and it'll help us to pray for you. So if you are visiting, if you're new to our church, welcome. Welcome to uh, Taproot. Um, three weeks ago, we started a short sermon series that we simply called uh, Core Convictions. Taproot Church's Core Convictions. And let me just very briefly, once again, explain why. The last year and a half in the life of our uh, faith family was very unique. In that time, we installed two new elders. We sent out our lead pastor to plant a church in San Diego. We uh, occupied this building after many years of being a mobile church. Uh, my family and I moved up here from Oregon to join this family and for me to serve here as a pastor. And now that things are settling down, it just seemed good to us for us to answer a few questions. Questions like, as a church, what now? As a church, what are we doing? Where are we going? What are we about? And so with this sermon series, with our core conviction series, we want to start answering those questions. And we've been saying this, but what these convictions are, they are things that we want to pursue deliberately and purposefully as a church. These are Things, these are values, convictions about who we want to become as a church, and they will influence everything that we do. Now, let's also be clear about this. The sermons will not be exhaustive, but what we hope they are is springboards and launch pads into more and more conversations. These convictions are meant to set us on course so we can move forward, and as we move forward, we will continue to flesh out what these convictions look like in more and more detail. So let me do just a quick recap of the last few weeks. Number one, what is the mission of Taproot Church? Taproot Church exists to make disciples of all nations. We would define a disciple as somebody who has radically reoriented their life around the person of Jesus. If Jesus is the answer to everything for all peoples, then we make it our mission that all peoples would follow Jesus. And we follow Jesus by faith, by engaging in community, studying the Bible, worshiping, serving, and sacrifice. And as we follow Jesus, we engage our circles of influence with his life through our life, thus making disciples. So being a disciple and making disciples of Jesus is our mission. This is what we are going to be about, what we are going to do. Now, what are our convictions or core values? Our first core conviction was the gospel. Taproot Church will be a church where the gospel is central and functional to who we are and to everything that we do. Our second core conviction was community. Taproot Church will be a church where we live life in community. Relationships are a big deal, and they are to be pursued and maintained. And we will take our cue for what community is to be like from the Trinity, the perfect community. Our third core conviction was flourishing. Taproot Church will be a church that pursues the flourishing of its people and of all people. 
the way for people to flourish is Jesus. He is the greatest example of what human flourishing is, and he is the only means for us to truly flourish. We will pursue flourishing at Taproot through deliberate and intentional pastoral care, equipping and releasing the saints to do ministry, and through one anothering one another. And our fourth and last core conviction is diversity. Before we dive in, let me be clear about something here. This particular sermon will not be exhaustive and will not cover every angle of this very important topic. As a pastoral team, we see and agree on God's heart for diversity. It is our prayer that God would bless us with diversity. But if I can be honest here and Just full disclosure, we are, as a team, still working at and trying to feather out what the best action steps are as we move towards this area. So the focus of this sermon is a brief biblical theology of diversity, diversity 101, and a challenge, a call to action to be a people who love well, who listen well as individuals. You with me? Okay, so here is the big idea for this morning. And let me preface that by saying this. We believe that the more diverse our church community is, the more it reveals Jesus and reflects the magnificent and glorious reality of the fully realized kingdom of God. Therefore, and this is the big idea, we will pursue to be a gospel church where racial and ethnic diversity is welcomed, appreciated, and celebrate it for the glory of God alone. Let me tell you what the plan is for this morning. Here is the overview. I want us just to look at four things. Number one, I want to answer the question, why diversity? Number two, I want to suggest a potential holdup. Number three, I want to talk about what is the cure for our hearts. And lastly, I want to look at a few applications. So let's just pray, you guys, and then we'll get, we'll get going here. Father, I pray that today that you would uh, allow us to see wonderful things in the scriptures. I pray that you would speak to your people, speak through me, an imperfect, broken servant. May the gospel go forth clearly. May you move, may your spirit be at work and your people, may you meet your people where they need to be met. God, you know every circumstance, every situation, every, uh, all kind of baggage that we might bring into today, God. Meet us, Lord. Encourage your people, equip your people, challenge your people. Convict us, God. Examine our hearts. So as we start this morning, God, we want to just surrender to you and what you would have for us today. Move, empower. We ask you, God. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, I want to start this morning by answering this question, why diversity? What I want to do here is just give us a very brief biblical theology of diversity. I want us to turn to scripture and look at the great story of the Bible and what we will find as we do that is diversity all through the pages of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We are going to turn to scripture and I want us to just look through and think through six theological lenses. I want to give us six theological lenses for us to look and think through. Here is the first lens. All people are created in the image of God. The creation account early in our Bibles is very clear about this. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I would encourage you, quick pause here. If you've got your Bibles, keep those handy this morning. We're going to be looking at a bit of scripture today. So keep those handy. But Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is what that means. All people of all ethnicities, races, and nationalities have been created in the image of God, and they have equal dignity and value in God's sight. All people have a remarkable status before God, according to Genesis 1. Let me say this as a caution, because we need to be careful. This does not mean that ethnic diversity is irrelevant. It does not mean that God is colorblind and that ethnic differences don't matter. Rather, Genesis 1 means that God created all ethnicities and therefore they are beautiful and they ought to be celebrated. Here is the second theological lens or category for us to think through and look through. The biblical storyline is multi-ethnic and multi-racial. If you were to take any amount of time to study the people in Scripture, what you will find, what it will reveal is a wide range of races and ethnicities. Let me just give you a few examples. The nation of Israel is obviously there. Throughout the Old Testament, we have the Cushites, who many scholars believe to have been from Ethiopia. A smaller group places them in the Sudan We have the Egyptians, who are probably a mix from Asian and African ethnicities. We have the Philistines and the Hittites, who were Indo-Europeans. We know from Genesis 10 that the common humanity that descended from Noah after the flood included all kinds of ethnicities. Japheth's descendants moved to the areas that are now called Greece and Turkey. Ham's descendants moved to the areas of northern Africa, Canaan, and Syria. Shem's descendants moved to the areas of northern Syria and the the mother country. Mother, wow, can I not say that word? Hey, Spanish is my first language. (laughs) Modern country of Iraq. That was confusing. Okay, Acts 13.1. In Acts 13.1, Simeon, who is called Niger, is introduced to us. 
a man of African descent who was a prominent leader in the church at Antioch. Paul is of Jewish descent. One of Paul's partners in the gospel, Tychicus, was clearly from Asian descent. And you can see this in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. This is just a sampling. And there are many, many more. And I share this because it is important for us to capture the multiracial and multi-ethnic biblical storyline accurately. Because one of the things that has happened, specifically in the white American church, is that we import Caucasians back into the Bible. And that is not accurate. We think of Jesus like he's wearing a white robe with a purple beauty pageant sash. And he is blonde, and he's blue-eyed, and muscular. And that's not true. Jesus was a Jewish man from Palestine. So the biblical storyline is multi-ethnic, multiracial. And we have to be clear about it. We have to see that clearly in Scripture. Let me give you the third lens. God's redemptive plan to save sinners is multi-ethnic and multiracial. Genesis 12 in our Bibles introduces God's great redemptive plan to save people from all races and nations when he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, And in you, all families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This plan points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of all people, regardless of race or ethnicity or nationality. The Apostle Paul picks up this thought in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29 say this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God promised that he would bless all the families of the earth. And he fulfilled and kept that promise in sending his son, Jesus, who would bring salvation to all people through his death and resurrection. And all who repent and place their trust in Jesus for salvation are added into God's family. And the family of God is multicolored, multiracial, and multi-ethnic. All of these people are called heirs, sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful family. This is the main theme of Scripture, the redemption of all people through the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God alone. Here is one more lens, one more category for us to think through and look through. God's mission is a multi-ethnic and multi-racial mission. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the mission of the church. If you are a disciple of Jesus, this is what you are to be about. This is what we are to be about, making disciples. And here is the caveat. can miss this. We are to make disciples of all nations, of all races, of all ethnicities and cultures. 
We see this clearly in the book of Acts, chapter 10, where through a series of events, Peter is convicted of sin that was in his heart. Peter did not want to come near these unclean Gentiles. He did not want to be associated with these unclean Gentiles. He did not want to take the gospel to these unclean Gentiles. And the Spirit of God leads him into a Gentile home. The home of a man named Cornelius. Gentiles are gathered there, ready, eager, hungry to hear the gospel. And in that moment, Peter is convicted of the sin in his heart. And he makes this statement. Acts 10, 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. In that moment, Peter repents of showing partiality and the door is flung open for the gospel to be declared to both Jews and Gentiles. Paul says it this way in Romans 10 verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God's mission is multi-ethnic. It is multiracial. Let me give you two more lenses. Eternity will be multi-ethnic and multiracial. The culmination of God's redemptive plan to save sinners is seen at the cross where Jesus died as our substitute. The consummation of that plan will be seen in the return of Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth, where we will see people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping God together, united in Jesus. Revelations 7, verses 9 and 10 capture this moment. The text, the Bible says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a, what a beautiful picture of multi-ethnic and multi-racial eternity. This picture of eternity, of all people, of all ethnicities, united in Jesus, must affect how we think about other races and other ethnicities and how we relate to them in the here and now. It must affect us. Let me give you one more lens. This is also a type of diversity that we pray that God would bless us with. The mission of God is a multi-generational mission. Psalm 78, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read about eight verses here. Psalm 78 says this, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The mission of God is... Yes, multi-ethnic, multiracial, but it's also multi-generational. This text in Psalms speaks of four different generations on mission, passing on the truths about God to each other. I dream of this. The generational transfer of the gospel. We need the generations to be on mission together, making disciples. The Apostle Paul also wrote to Titus about this. Titus 2 in Titus 2, he challenged the older to come alongside the younger. No matter how old you are, we've got some work to do, and we need each other. So the mission of God is a multi-generational mission. So why will we pursue? Why will, will, will we value and celebrate diversity? Because all people are created in the image of God because the biblical storyline is multi-ethnic and multiracial, because God's great redemptive plan to save sinners is multi-ethnic and it's multiracial, because God's mission is a multi-ethnic and a multiracial mission, because eternity will be a multi-ethnic and multiracial, and because the mission of God is a multi-generational mission. Amen? Well, I have to answer another question now. What could be the potential holdup. What could hold us back as we pursue diversity? If you've got your Bibles, if you've got them handy, turn to me to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Verse 2, for if a man wearing gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made then distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor men. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfilled the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The sin of partiality. I want to suggest that this is what could hold us back. This is a heart issue. Partiality, distinction, prejudice. The word that James uses in this text for partiality has a broader meaning than just judging people for how much money they have or because of the clothes that they wear. 
The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans dealing with an issue of race and ethnicity, namely that the Greeks and Jews should not judge one another. And he says that if Greeks and Jews do judge one another, they're liable for sin. Here is why they're liable. This is in Romans 2 verse 11, because God shows no partiality. The word partiality in Romans is the same word that James uses in verse 1. So here's what that means. At the heart of racism is partiality. And racism is wrong. It is evil and it is sin. I like this definition. Racism is the sin of partiality seen in attitudes and actions that distinguishes or values one race over another. It lifts one up and puts the other down. And it is a denial of the biblical truth that all human beings are created in the image of God. This is what James warns us about in verse 4 of chapter 2. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Partiality is sin because by committing it, you break the royal law that calls you to love your neighbor as yourself, all your neighbors. It is sin because it dishonors people who have been made in the image of God. And this is something that I have personally struggled with. Let me tell you a story that I am not at all proud of. And I'm going to be very transparent and vulnerable with you right now. I was born and I was raised in Mexico. I'm a Mexican citizen by birth. My first language is Spanish. All of my family lives in Mexico to this day. I lived in Mexico for 19 years before I moved to the United States to come to Bible school, and I was born into a very privileged family. For years growing up, before I became a Christian, and even as a young Christian, I came to Christ at 17, I looked down on people who did not look like me. I looked down on people who were different than me. I judged them and did not want to be associated with them. Even when I moved to the U.S. early on as a young man, I looked down on Mexican migrant workers because they did not come from the Mexico that I came from. They were different than me. They came here because of need. That wasn't me. So I felt better than them. I felt superior to them. There was partiality in my heart. There was prejudice in my heart. There was distinction in my heart. There was racism in my heart. This was sin. This was evil. This was wrong. So I challenge you, church, to ask yourself this question. Is there partiality in your heart? Is there distinction in your heart? Is there prejudice in your heart? And I challenge you to examine your heart because sometimes the symptoms can be very subtle, but they can be seen through your attitudes and your actions, your knee-jerk reactions, your responses or first thoughts to a variety of situations. So let me ask this question, what is the cure for this heart issue? And notice that I did not say the overall cure. 
Partiality is an issue of the heart, and from there it springboards into many different areas, many systemic and structural issues. But today, I just want to focus on the heart. We've got to begin there. So what can cure our partial hearts? And the cure for the sin of partiality is the gospel. The gospel is what transformed my partial heart. Look at what Jesus has done. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As Christ has welcomed you, we are to welcome one another. Even those who are different than me? Yes. Ephesians 2, 14 says this, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The good news of Jesus has the power to break down racial and ethnic barriers. There is power in the gospel. This is the cure to this issue of our hearts. Scripture tells us that the church is Jesus's. Jesus is the chief shepherd. This church, Taproot Church, is Jesus' church. And Jesus' church must tower over all of us, no matter what race we are. And it is in him that we have our unity. And the only reason we have that unity is because of what Jesus himself has done for us in the gospel. That gospel truth calls a gospel community to deal with partiality in our lives by applying the gospel to our lives. So how can we do that? First, I would encourage you to examine your heart. Where are you convicted of the sin of partiality? Ask the Holy Spirit to examine you, to shine his light in your heart, and is he convicting you? Is there conviction that he's bringing to your life? If so, confess it to God, to others, even those whom you might have partiality towards, and ask for their forgiveness. The gospel affords forgiveness. The second way to apply the gospel is to repent. Not just conviction and confession, but repentance. We repent of partiality by applying the gospel, specifically by fulfilling the royal law that James talked about in verse 8, to love our neighbors as ourselves. All of our neighbors to desire and pursue their flourishing. We repent of partiality by genuinely loving and desiring the flourishing of all people, even those that are not like us, because that is the gospel. And here's the bottom line. The only thing that can change a heart is the gospel of Jesus. And it is the gospel that is the only cure, the true cure for partiality in our hearts in this church, in our culture. And Jesus has entrusted us with the gospel. He has given it to us. We have the hope. We have the cure. Peter said this, this is who we are. But you are a chosen race. What a great word. This means that all races and all ethnicities are united in Jesus, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
This is what we are called to do, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus by living in unity in the midst of racial and ethnic diversity so that our light shines as a beacon of hope into a dark world. This is the hope we offer, the only hope there is. And as we do this, people will get a glimpse of that hope when they see a gospel community loving one another, living in unity where ethnic and racial diversity is welcomed, appreciated, and celebrated in a way that draws great attention to Jesus and says, you, Jesus, are excellent because it is you who who has done this great work. So the gospel is the only thing that can transform our hearts. Let me give you just a few, a couple practical applications. The first is this. Fight passivity through intentionality. Fight passivity through intentionality. We, church, cannot be apathetic about this. Be intentional about pursuing and knowing people. Be intentional about pursuing and knowing people that are different than you. Pursue and know all kinds of people in a very deliberate and intentional way. Notice the people that are all around you. Ask questions and have conversations. This is a big one. Be a listener. Listen well. Listen to people. Listen to stories. Genuinely. Be curious about people and really listen to them. I heard someone say, it is in the sharing of our stories that bridges will be built and rebuilt. When we share stories and listen to stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, we'll find connection and common ground. Be intentional about the places you frequent and be a faithful presence there. Get to know people and be known. We must be intentional, deliberate about pursuing people Engaging them, listening to them, loving them, desiring their flourishing and getting to know them, becoming friends and having conversation. Do this with a genuine, sincere heart. Do this because you just love people, not because you have an agenda. Do this because you truly desire and are for the flourishing of all people, even those that are different than you. Second, love your neighbor by showing hospitality to people of all races and of all ethnicities. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality as Christ has welcomed you, welcome others. Even those that are different than you, yes, even them. Invite people, all kinds of people, into your houses, into your apartments for dinner. That is a challenging question, a challenging thing to think through. Who has been around your dinner table recently? Also, very simple. Listen, come serve with us on Sunday morning. 
Every Sunday morning, we challenge our people to be here at 9.30, to be a welcoming presence to anybody who comes through the doors. This is not about checking off a list. I got my service for the day. This is about who we want to be. We want to be a church who is welcoming and hospitable to anyone who walks through our doors. So show hospitality. Third, remember where God has planted us. Look at where God has providentially planted us. Here are some demographic stats about Burien. 50% Burien is 50% Caucasian, 30% Hispanic, 12% Asian, 8% African American, and 10% a mix-up of a few other races and ethnicities. And here is the truth. The nations are all around us. The nations came to the south end. And it is no accident that God has providentially placed us right in the heart of Burien. A couple things to look forward to in the near future. You might see some additions to our Sunday gathering liturgy. I look forward to to the day that we have translation available for our teachings. Where we do scripture reading in all kinds of different languages where we sing in different languages and where our crowd resembles the great, beautiful picture we get in Revelations 7. And we have to be intentional about this. As a church, we're also going to be intentional about how we will engage the very diverse community that God has planted us in. Let me give you one example. Next week, there is an event called the Boo and Burian. Our very diverse community is going to be coming to us. How will we receive them? How will we welcome them? Will we welcome them with open arms and hospitality? And, or will we kind of do this? So let's not be those people. Let's be hospitable. Let's be welcoming. Let's be intentional. Let's pursue and know and listen well. And have honest conversations. If you have ideas about how can we engage our very diverse community, talk to us about them. We want and welcome your input in this. And lastly, and here is the bottom line, this has to be a work of God. So we will pray. As we fight passivity through intentionality, we will ask and pray that God may add to our number people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I look forward to the day where my faith becomes sight and where I am counted among that number of people of every tribe and tongue and nation. 
where we look to Jesus and we, we worship together in unity as one, saying, you are worthy. I look forward to that day, God. And in light of that day, Lord, I pray for the here and the now. Lord, would you bless us? Would you allow us to be a gospel church where people, all kinds of people, feel welcomed, feel embraced, celebrated, loved on, listened, noticed. Help us to be blessed with diversity, I pray, Lord, that you would do your work, that you would, that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts. God, if there is partiality, if there is distinction, if there is prejudice, God, bring that to the light, Lord, and convict us of sin. And give us grace to repent and empower to change, to expose the evil of that sin. And through the gospel, transform our hearts and allow us to fulfill the royal law that says we ought to love our neighbors, all our neighbors, as ourselves. As Christ has loved us, so we will love. Do this, God, I I, I beg you. I ask you, would you do this in our midst, God, for the glory of God. Go to work in your people now, God. Go to work in our hearts. Let us run to Christ, who is the one who we need, the one who can cure our hearts, the one who can unite us, people of all tribes and nations and languages and ethnicities. We come under his leadership and kingdom. Thank you for this morning, God. I trust you that you will work in your people and that you will bless our church. And I pray this in your name. Amen.